think they got that straightened out. So it's just, um, this place is so such a special place um, for all of us, for all the members here. We appreciate each other. We look out for one another. And we, you know, we uh, try to set the example uh, for what we see in the New Testament church. But this afternoon, I'm going to talk more about uh, faithful fathers. Uh, just because maybe you're not a father, uh, this lesson will still apply to you, and you'll see why as we get into it. Uh, but this is a lesson I've been thinking about, uh, the roles that we find in the Bible, uh, things that I can do uh, to improve myself. Honestly, um, I've been doing a lot of stuff with, with my father lately, and how he had fallen away, and um, how sometimes when I would struggle with certain questions I'd have for the Bible, and I would want to turn to my father, and how... I didn't have that example I needed from him. And uh, we're going to do a lot of kind of relationships to how God is our father and how um, faithful he is to us. Starting in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 10, you see that uh, it says, The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go and uh, possess the land that the Lord swore to give you, you to your fathers. You shall remember the whole way that your Lord, your God, uh, has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. <clears throat> and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell in these forty years. Know then, uh, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains, springs flowing out into the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines, and fig trees, and pomegranates, a land of olive trees, and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, and out of, the, and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Uh, one thing that really struck me, too, was Brother Jim's invitation talk on Wednesday, and how a lot of his stuff tied into mine, not so much as how much families can be messed up, even though they can be. Uh, but uh, some of the points that he brought up and that I'm going to bring up today. So I want to tie some of that back to what he talked about. And also in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, it says that the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior, uh, signifying that uh, men have taken, we have a responsibility to our families. And it's one that's not to be taken lightly, one that needs to be uh, brought forward in full assurance that, uh, of our faith and that we lead from the front. So a big part of this, we just read about the Israelites, and they are God's people. We talked about God's people this morning in our Bible class with uh, the girls, uh, and eventually God would expand his children to everyone. Uh, we are created in the likeness of God. But as we just read, God led his children through the wilderness, and he talked about several things in there. And... Uh, one thing is, if we want to be uh, good fathers, if we want to be good husbands, if we want to be good men, we need to look at the perfect example that we have, which is God. Because God is a father, he is 
uh, the Creator, and He has already set all the examples for us that we need to know. So the first example I want to talk to you about is um, that a man, a husband, a father, he provides. He must provide for his family, and that's in 1 Timothy 5.8. And it's not just solely providing uh, with material things. And this can be taken way too far in today's generation, as we can see where um, you, know, you can maybe walk in a store and see a child just pointing and begging for every little thing that comes their way, or even having um, a spouse or a girlfriend that demands to have everything that she desires uh, from them. You know, if we look at how God provides for us, that can be how a father provides also. And if we notice, God provides for food and clothing. He doesn't, anything else is extra. Jim does such a good do- job when he directs our minds, and so does the other men here, how blessed we truly are. Does God promise you a three-bedroom house with two baths, about a nice backyard? Does God promise you to have the newest vehicle all the time or that it's always going to work just the way it should? God promises that he'll take care of your your needs. And also, us, we are to provide for uh, our family's needs. Uh, We can see today there's a lot of examples. Uh, I don't want to point fingers too much, but there's a lot of men out there that are uh, fathers, but they're not fathers, if that makes sense. They're able to have children, and they, they absolutely abdicate all the responsibility. They don't want nothing to do with it. Uh, they, they're able to have children, but don't want to accept the responsibilities of that. And they don't want to provide for their family. So many people we can see um, are just so willing to be lazy, and they want everyone to do stuff for their own. But we, as men of God, are not going to be like that. We, as men of God, will provide for our, our families. Second thing a husband and father uh, does is by what God provides. In Deuteronomy 8, 3 through 4, he ensured that uh, they were, had clothing and feeding. Uh, Scott did a lesson. I lose track of the time, but it was whenever it was uh, the Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I try to use their Hebrew names, but I couldn't think of it at the moment. Uh, whenever he said the smallest detail that caught him was their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. And what an what a amazing detail that so often can get, get overlooked. But he brought that up, and it never left me from this day. And if you notice here, you think about walking through the wilderness for, for 40 years. Anybody walked on their feet for all day long? And it says their feet weren't swollen. Not only that, how many shoes can you go through when you're walking around in a wilderness for 40 years? Quite a few, right? Um, I, I think you can even be safe to say you wear out some clothes after a while walking around. You have to get new clothes. But here we have a detail where God, he provided food for them to eat. He provided clothing for them. He provided for their feet not to get swollen, not to hurt. That's something you can see where people have to walk great distances all the time and Man, one thing that, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of walking in sandals for miles and miles. Uh, and I'm sure that's what these people had to do. But God looked after them in every single way. But as we also understood, God tested them too. Uh, even while he was punishing them for disobedience, God was faithful. Uh, he still provided them the manna and the clothing. Do you, uh, when people disobey you, do you want to provide for them always? You know, I could never see Carl or Ann if one of the girls disobeyed and saying, you disobeyed, 
No supper for you. See you in the morning. It's kind of cruel, isn't it? Is that really setting a good example? You know, um, one thing Logan talked about, I know whenever I get up here to speak, I, I like to bring in a lot of things y'all brought in. Um, is if you were to send a child away in anger, you send them to the room alone, you leave them with the devil in the room alone to their own thoughts. And that's something that we as men, as fathers, even mothers, I'll tie that in, need to be careful of is how we're conducting ourselves around our children. Another thing is, uh, when we do the same as they children, as they grow, they require obedience. Jim talked about how uh, does God test our hearts to know what we're going to do? Let's be honest. God knows what we're going to do. He knows our hearts. Uh, I talked with Landon and Barb earlier today, and that's what uh, God knows us before he even makes us. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And as children get older, um, if you want to ever take uh, nursing classes, you'll understand that there's a developmental process. I don't always agree with all of what they say, but some of it does make sense, uh, especially around the school age years. They want, they want to start establishing rules. Uh, could you, have you ever had a kid that wanted to play a game and they got to make up all their own rules? Or if there weren't any rules at all, it's pretty chaotic and doesn't make sense. Um, and you can't ever really figure out what's going on. So boundaries need to be set for children. And what happens to these children that grow up without boundaries, without rules, with parents that have said, I love you so much, you can do whatever you want, buddy, my little friend, little sister. They're not any of those. Now, don't get me wrong, as an adult, we get to share uh, a different kind of relationship with our parents. Uh, I, I'd be willing to say that we become friends, too. But especially, I would say, during my teenage years, I'm glad my mom wasn't my friend uh, because I am a stubborn guy, and I had a mom with an even more stronger will. Um, but unfortunately, I, I had a friend that he had that problem where his parents let him do whatever he wanted. And I remember him coming up to me one day in high school, and he said, I wish my parents cared about me the way your mom cares about you. She set rules up for you, Eric. She, she asked who you are going to be with that day. She asked how long you're going to be gone. She checks on you during the night. Things that I took for granted never once occurred to me how much my mom cared about me. And that I would have friends come over and their parents wouldn't even know. They had never met my mom before. My mom said, I would never first let you stay with somebody that I didn't meet their parents or see what goes on in their house. What a safeguard. Something that I hopefully will uh, remember on in my years down the road. Um, we make sure that our children are cared for and that we teach them their learning. In all honesty, we need to learn. We need to keep growing uh, ourselves. Uh, the next part that I want to talk about is how a child's heart must be tested. And God tested his people. In Deuteronomy 8, 2 through 3, it says that God could have provided a lot more. Let's be honest. God, uh, oftentimes, he'd keep the people in humble positions, and he would let them go hungry to test them. He could have given them any luxury as they were walking through, couldn't they? He actually could have provided maybe a, a floating cloud for them to sit on so they wouldn't have to walk. On the Sabbath day, God said that on the day before, you're going to collect what you need, because you don't collect on the Sabbath day. You know, and there, 
there was somebody, I'm sure, that didn't want to collect. Uh, you know, they had to think about that, their consequences. But God, he, he did so much more than that. And that's the thing, too, is we can't make things too easy. We can't be the problem solvers all the time. I'm not going out telling you to make a test up every day for uh, your spouse or if you have children. Like, don't, don't test them uh, to the point to see if they care about you. Uh, the big part is knowing that God tests our hearts. And I'll tie it back to Wednesday's invitation. And what happens when you're tested? Because it's not for God. God knows what we're going to do. Even Aaron and Alexa understood when they talked about Abraham sacrificing Isaac. They knew that God knew what Abraham would do. So who's it really for? Who is gaining the most from being tested? And we are. We are the ones. Uh, I, it was fun. Natalie and I asked them, said, how do you think Isaac felt about all this going on? They said, he probably wasn't happy at all. And if you want to look at some of their pictures, you know, Isaac don't look too happy in the picture. But it's true. Abraham, though, he was, and then, and then we tie it back into Hebrews, where it shows in the Hall of Faith why Abraham believed what he believed. He believed that God could raise the dead. What a powerful thing. Shows again why uh, Abraham was selected by God. But imagine, you know, Abraham needed to know that he could do that for himself. And the last thing is, God led them through the wilderness, and he, led them, and he let them do what they want so that he could see where their hearts were. And as we know, did everyone who started off on that journey make it to the promised land? Not a single one did. Not one that first started the journey did it. Moses himself didn't even get to step foot in the promised land. God allotted him to look onto it, but he didn't get to. That's a hard thing. So people, they sometimes they complain that a loving God should remove all sorrow and struggles and pain. But a loving father would actually fail his children if he made life too easy for them. That can be hard to, to understand. But challenges, as we all know, they help us to grow. Uh, I, I try to think about how if, when I'm presented a test in school, it's a measure of how much I understood the material that's presented to me. Uh, I, I kind of wonder what it would be like if God gave me um, tests periodically written down. Now, the forms of God's tests are, of course, different than what we take, which I think is good because they're more application-based. But just remember, when you're going through a hard time, that it's not because God doesn't love you. It's because he does love you. And through that test of your faith, when you come out on the other end and you've proven to yourself that you trust God, that you obey God, that you're made stronger for that. and You're one step closer to him and uh, to spend a whole life with him in heaven. In Hebrews 12, 5 through 8, I'm going to read this for you all. It says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. That's a pretty heavy statement there. The big part of it is that there's a, a fine line of discipline too. 
And when we talk about discipline, discipline is always doing something to help that person get better, to understand that they made a mistake. It's not used as abuse. It's not used to just beat on somebody. It's not used to punish them. It is not used to make them feel lesser of a person. Discipline is used to make someone better, to help them grow. And I think that's a big part of where uh, some people, they, they don't walk that line. They decide that just because you messed up, and uh, I definitely learned this from, from my dogs, I would suppose. I would get so frustrated with how I feel stupid they would be when really I could tie things back to maybe I didn't help them grow enough. Um, for example, I, I should not have left their food bag on top of their crate while um, they were in it. I thought they would be too small to get it, but they proved me wrong. And I've learned that lesson now, that if I come home and something's tore up, I probably shouldn't have left it out. So I'll start with myself and say, what can I do to help myself grow? At the same time, I need them to know that's not okay to do. Uh, but do that in a, a loving, tender way. James also tells us that people need challenges in order to grow. In James 1, 2 through 4, it uh, can be overwhelming with challenges that happen. Uh, but... These are ones that we talk about exercise our abilities. These are the ones where you're given a challenge to help you. Uh, for example, Natalie and I, we challenge the girls to learn the next 10 books of the Old Testament. Now, is that uh, an impossible task to do? No. Is it challenging? Of course. Now, I remember having memory verses. I cannot tell you a single memory verse from when I was growing up. But at that time, it did help me. It helped me understand that there's things I need to take it upon myself to try and learn more. Um, I think with me being able to have this book by my side is, is a helpful tool, uh, but also helps to remember to be familiar with the Bible and find out where things are in order to teach others. Another challenge for growing is why we give children chores. Uh, I, I know I've said this up here before. I'm glad my mom's not here, but I would tell her, i say, Mom, the only reason why you had kids was to uh, make us uh, do all your chores. And, uh, and I, I understand now why she would help us. And that was a good part to give me responsibilities. And did my mom, when I was six years old, come and say, Eric, get outside and mow the grass? <laughs> no, certainly not. Maybe if it was one of those push ones where you had to sharpen the blades on it. Uh, my mom gave me smaller things. Okay, come take your plate up here, put it in the trash, help load the dishwasher if that was the case. As I grew up, uh, feed the dog, you know, because it's a pretty big deal if you forget to feed something, right? Uh, and then it was doing, uh, taking the laundry down. Now, my list is a lot more shorter compared to what all Natalie had to do, and that's probably why she's still several steps ahead of me um, in responsibility. But, you know, as children, uh, you give them fair, tough choices uh, with life and helping them grow. And... Another one is you, you don't get good, mature adults by bribing them or eliminating problems or giving them everything you can. Uh, sometimes I try to put these up here a little different from my outline, but I just I like how that sounds so much more because it makes sense. And I want you to get the full effect, and I really don't want to change the words at all because so many people I see that are 18, 19, 20 years old aren't. 18, 19, 20 years old, mentally, maturely wise. They're still children. They still don't even know how to take care of themselves. They don't know how to fend for themselves. Uh, at that point in society, when you have reached the age of adulthood, 
We don't have adults. We still have kids that are trying to make it out on their own. And they haven't been prepared for a world that's ready to swallow them up whole. Another thing is, in order to know your child's heart, you must see how they handle difficulties. Uh, one thing uh, that we could do is, you know, as God commanded the Israelites testing them, as we talk about, you know, as the more challenges they receive and grow, the more they can learn, the more they can uh, better themselves. Another thing that we can do to help grow our children is with respect. Uh, it kind of bothers me today when I address somebody as sir or ma'am, and they say, your parents must have raised you right, uh, because I don't hear that a lot anymore. Uh, there's not a lot of respect. Uh, but another issue with respect is where people say respect is uh, earned. It's not given. Uh, to an extent, yes, of course. Uh, God had provided their necessities. He disciplined them in the wilderness. And he demanded they obey and respect him. Is that right? Of course. God is the creator. As a mother and father, is it innate for your children to respect you? And what I mean by that, are your children going to just naturally respect and obey everything you say? <laughs> no. I, I, I was a kid once, and no, we, uh, we don't. Uh, everyone was a kid here before. They don't naturally come uh, to respect uh, authority. So how, how is that respect instilled in someone? You know, it has to be taught. The example has to be shown. How much of a man would I be if... Uh, if I would demand respect from my children but then not respect my wife or respect anybody else or not respect authority, the police officers, the uh, people appointed over me and uh, places that God has so allowed them to be. You know, if I don't show others respect, why should I demand it brought to myself? That's one thing I've never understood with criminals, how they could um, act the way they do and hurt as many people as they do, but as soon as someone has hurt them, um, then... They don't see that difference of how you could hurt somebody, but no one can hurt you. Another part of respect is uh, when everyone wants it, but the father included, but it's uh, demanded. Like I said, it's just we can't demand respect without giving it away ourselves. Uh, and that's more of a, where I think about the authoritarian kind of style, where a king just kind of looks down and points, says, because I am king, you must do all this for me. Whereas we have an example of God our King who provides everything for us. Another uh, big ones that we could talk about is Colossians 3.21, where we do not provoke our children. And Hebrews 12.9, we give them correction they need. It's not something that uh, just goes because we wanted to do it. Uh, everything has a training purpose, as uh, the military often says. Uh, there's a big thing called hazing that used to happen a lot, probably still does where you would just demean and put down somebody uh, for nothing better than to just do it, to make them feel lower than what they are. But the overall point is success is the goal. It's easy in our day-to-day -day struggles to lose sight of what we're striving for. And God's goal was uh, to bring his people where, ultimately, to Canaan. And who, who did God want to make it there? He wanted everyone to. The thing is, not everyone could. Not everyone, they judged themselves unworthy of entering Canaan land. It wasn't because God put them down. And so the things that the people endured, they were necessary. They had a purpose. God didn't bring these tests on them just to do it, just to, um, for
for his own pleasure and enjoyment. And everything had a reward in the long run that these people had to look out for. Another thing that faithful fathers do is they view the raising of their children the same way. Uh, they make the children do chores. We do that, as we talked about, to teach them work, work ethic and that will carry on through life. And they demand obedience because they know that God, uh, he demands obedience overall. And at the end of the day, uh, when a child is grown up an adult, who do they answer to at the end of their life? They're going to answer to God. And if they didn't have uh, that first example of a parent that uh, demanded the obedience and taught them the proper way, it's really going to not help them in the long run with God. And that's where the problem of temptation comes into. And God warned his children that even after they succeeded, there will still be danger. Jesus teaches how important it is that once the evil spirit's removed, how important it is to fill that place back up where it once was with the good things uh, that we were taught, we learn about in the scripture. Another part of temptation is it's a father's duty to teach about the hazards ahead in Ephesians 6.4. Could you imagine just going through life not knowing what temptations were out there? Not knowing uh, the tricks and the games of the devil? There's a lot for uh, kids to learn. And even from the beginning of time when we see Adam and Eve, you know, they were born naive to right and wrong, just the same way as children. But as today, uh, we have these temptations. We have to be taught the difference between right and wrong because uh, children don't know the difference at first. <clears throat> uh, one of the big things that uh, also is with Paul have you ever wondered why God didn't relieve Paul of his hardships in 2 Corinthians 12? Often the best answer is that the struggle was more beneficial to Paul than the removal of it. And that too many uh, parents rescue children from every difficulty, and then the result is a spoiled brat and not a mature adult. And as we know, uh, a spoiled adult's a lot harder to deal with than a spoiled child. <clears throat> So the minor hardships, these tests and disciples, uh, tests and discipline the fathers give are ready to overcome their hardships. And the hardships will uh, make these children better. And I think above all, after all this, uh, my last slide is honor your father and mother. It's a pretty big commandment. And sometimes it's hard to do when uh, the devil tries to tell you your father or your mother is not worthy to be honored. And one thing I... I had to ask myself was, how long am I a, uh, am I a son to my father? And the, the real question is, the real answer, I guess, is I'm always their son, and I'm always to honor them. God doesn't put a clause in there that says, honor your father and mother unless they do this. Honor your father and mother unless they do that. Uh, so one thing is, I'm, I'm not excused from not honoring or dishonoring my parents. Uh, and in a sense... Maybe my example of honoring them will bring him back to Christ. Maybe my example of honoring my mother will bring her back to Christ, um, if that's the problem that you have. And by no ways can you be the best parents in the world. Uh, there's no standard to set that to. But, you know, you're not even good enough. And that's what a lot of parents you can hear say, I, I, want, I just want to be good enough. And good enough is not going to cut it. Now, I will say good uh, because sometimes our words get 
watered down a little bit when they're compared to so many things. But if we follow this book, we follow this example, we follow the example that God gives to us as his children, we can be good parents. We can set our children up as best we can. And so when they do enter this world and realize that they do have free will of their own, that we have done the best we can. We can look back and say, of all those very, very short years that I had with that child, I prepared them as best I could. And going more along this, in Hebrews 12, 28 through 29, our Heavenly Father deserves all our honor and more because, first, He never fails us. And the thing that uh, we might not understand when we struggle at the moment is that we can trust God as uh, He has our best interest in heart. Once again, if you're not a father, you might be a husband. If you're not a husband yet or don't plan on being it, you're still a man. And we set an example. For all you older gentlemen that are husbands, you set an example for me to be a husband. For all you older men that are fathers, you set an example to other people that are fathers. For all you men that are just men, single, that is still such a wonderful thing because you set an example of what a man should look like. And one thing that my mom would always stress to me as I got to be an older child was the younger children will look up to you and you need to set an example for them. So don't ever think that just because you're not in that station or that authority that it's not important because you're in a very important place and that place has always been important. And your example rings out so much more than maybe we give ourselves credit for. This concludes my lesson for the afternoon. I hope you've learned a lot from it. I I took a lot from it. And um, be more than willing to uh, keep studying on this. If you have tips for me, how I can do better. I just want you to know that you all always set a good example for everyone. And let's continue to do that and any way that we can. If there's anyone here, though, that has a need of the congregation, we're here for you. And please come forward now as we stand and sing the song invitation.